Welcome to the Arts and Sciences Matters podcast, brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Georgia State University. This is your host, Anna Varela. Our goal is to bring you insights from researchers working on a broad range of social, cultural, and scientific challenges. Today's guest is Candace Kemp, professor of gerontology, who is working on a five-year study to research meaningful engagement for people with dementia in assisted living. Dr. Kemp joins us today to talk about her research and how she hopes this work can improve quality of life for people with dementia and their loved ones. So can you start us off by defining dementia? People use the term a lot, but what does it really mean? Thank you, Anne. I think that's a really important starting place because it does get used and misused uh, quite frequently. Uh, but dementia is essentially the loss of cognitive, cognitive functioning. It affects people's ability to make decisions, ability to reason, and most often people associate dementia with memory loss, although it is not always exclusively about memory loss. Hmm. Um, so people with dementia typically have some barriers and challenges to executing activities of daily living and doing things for themselves. Okay. And is Alzheimer's a type of dementia? Uh, dementia, it's a cause of dementia. Okay. Um, so it's one of many diseases that causes dementia. And Alzheimer's disease is related to memory loss, but there are other forms of dementia, such as frontal temporal disorder, that doesn't necessarily affect memory per se, but it affects judgment and ability to think and um, react. How common is dementia in the United States? So that's a tricky question to answer, and it depends on whose numbers you look at. So figures from the Alzheimer's Association suggest that people who are living with Alzheimer's disease, and that is only, of course, one form of dementia, um, are estimated to be upwards of 5 million, over 5 million people, mm. and it's the sixth leading cause of death among Americans. When you look at older adults, it's a it's third leading cause of death. At least those are what the recent estimates suggest. I think it's really important to point out that dementia is not part of the normal aging process. So if people are experiencing some of the symptoms um, associated with Alzheimer's disease or other related dementias, that it is you know, not just a normal part of the aging process. And there may be support that they need and help that they can get. And what led to the decision to do this study? Well, that was twofold, I would say. Um, I have been doing research with uh, my colleagues at Georgia State University for the past 15 years in assisted living communities. And over that time, we've really noticed um, a difference in the assisted living population. And there's an increase in cognitive uh, loss, um, mm. cognitive functioning, and also an increase in um, challenges around physical functioning. So people tend to move in when they're older and when they have um, more physical and cognitive challenges. So one of the concerns when uh, people lose physical and cognitive abilities is how to keep people engaged um, in ways that are meaningful to, to them because um, you know there are barriers to, to doing so, to doing the things that we've always done once we lose function. Um, the other reason is that I attended a couple of years ago Dementia Action Alliance, which is a, an advocacy organization for people who are living with dementia and those who care for them. Um, they held a conference and I attended that and it sort of 
it dovetailed into um, what I was really seeing in assisted living, or our team was seeing in assisted living communities, that it is increasingly challenging to offer um, engagement opportunities for a population that has a range of cognitive and physical functioning. And so one of the things that came out of the conference, um, it was a very unique conference. People who were living with dementia and people who were caring for them were integrated into the conference. So you got to hear voices from those with living with dementia directly. And one of the biggest takeaway points for me was people want to live well with dementia. And some challenges that they have are once they receive a diagnosis of dementia, um, often it's not how to live well. Um, it's you know things now you suddenly are not able to do. So the focus mm -hmm. is on the limitations as opposed to how can we improve quality of life. And having meaning in life and having things to do seem to be the biggest, one of the, the most important things to people who are living with dementia. Right. So, so once they get that diagnosis, their caregivers and their family start treating them differently or, or sometimes lowering can be the expectations case. maybe? I, I think even from the way the diagnosis is delivered, oftentimes it's like, well, so here you have dementia and there's not, hasn't historically been a lot of support for people. Um, and I think that's starting to change as there's, you know, greater awareness of dementia and um, various types of diseases that cause dementia. But to hear some of the stories about being diagnosed, um, people often feel they, they become a, a patient, and mm -hmm. so they get labeled patients uh, rather than people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, th there's quite a movement to consider how we talk about people who are living with dementia and really empowering them to, to live their lives. So sometimes, yes, family members um, can put limits on what people who are living with dementia can do, but more often it's comes from a place of protection and risk and perhaps not even getting the correct information or the support that they need once the diagnosis has been given. Currently, there is no treatment or there's no cure for um, any type of dementia. And in the absence of that, it really is important to emphasize quality of life. There are medications, uh, but those have not proven to necessarily be overly effective for everyone. And I think learning to live well with the disease, again, is going to be sort of the most important um, strategy at present. Mm -hmm. And learning to empower caregivers um, or people who are caring for people who are living with dementia or supporting people who are living with dementia is going to be more important for quality of life at this point mm -hmm. um, than, than um, you know, looking to the current medications and treatments. Mm -hmm. So I understand your research team is going into several nursing homes in Georgia. What can you tell us about the facilities that you're including in this study? Well, before I answer that question, I'm happy to do, to do that. Um, but I'd like to clarify that there are different, um, there's a different range of long-term care options that are available to people. Mm -hmm. And we are currently in assisted living communities and personal care homes. And those are a little bit different communities, care communities, than nursing homes. Mm -hmm. Nursing homes historically have been medical care settings, whereas, and that's regulated by the federal government, whereas assisted living and personal care homes tend to, in an ideal situation, have more social model of care. So it's an emphasis on holistic care 
and they're not historically have not been um, medical settings, and they're regulated by state. So there's um, quite a bit of variation across the country. Hmm. Um, so we're in 12 different communities, um, or will be, as I said, over the course of the five-year study. We presently are in four different care communities, and they. The goal is to have them range in terms of size and location. Um, we're also very interested in looking at differences between communities that have specialized memory care units or that are standalone memory care communities versus those that are not, mm -hmm. because we think that that might have some bearing on uh, people's opportunities for meaningful engagement and quality of life. So what is the uh, methodology that your research team is using? Are you simply observing how these homes operate, or are you doing actual interviews with patients? We're spending a lot of time in the care communities. We're becoming part of the community. Um, so researchers go out multiple times a week and spend time talking to people who live there, people who work there, people who visit um, but we also are conducting formal interviews with uh, residents insofar as possible. Not everyone can do um, a formal sit-down interview. Um, we are speaking with family members and interviewing them formally, as well as care staff and people who come from outside the community. So in many of these um, care communities, uh, there are hospice workers that come in, home health, volunteers, we're really interested in anyone who contributes to the daily life and, and um, routines of people who live there. And so what is the ultimate impact that you're hoping will come out of this work? Well, we're really hoping that we will be able to identify strategies and best practices for promoting meaningful engagement and creating meaningful engagement opportunities for people who are living with dementia. And that's a bit of a tall order because if you think about it, what's meaningful to you may not be meaningful to me. So a goal, a really important goal, is for us to be able to identify some universal principles that can be then individualized um, by you know, the different uh, people who experience uh, dementia. So, and as well as where people are kind of along the, the experience of dementia and where they are in their physical and their cognitive functioning. So it's a bit of a tall order, but um, we are certainly learning quite a bit um, as we spend time speaking to people and watching and learning. As you said earlier, dementia affects so many people, from the individual with dementia, their family, friends, other caregivers. I know it's early in this study, but based on your research, do you have any advice for families on how to interact with loved ones who are affected by dementia? We are. We're starting to, to see some results of our study and, I think, implications for how people interact. Um, before I get to that, I, I want to emphasize how important what you just said is about the fact that when people are diagnosed with dementia, it's not just the individual who's impacted. It's all the people who are around them. It happens to families. It happens to communities. It happens um, to the larger collective. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really important. I think one of the biggest takeaways that we're seeing right now is how important it is to be in, oftentimes in the present, and that's in, in instances where people have um, have memory impairment. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if somebody is uh, unable to remember a name, a face, 
uh, or a memory, it's really important to perhaps be in that moment um, and not necessarily try or get angry with them for not remembering yeah. um, or, you know, tell them that, you know, they just need to think harder. Um, that can often lead to, to frustration. Um, I think for families, the biggest thing, especially when someone transitions into a care setting, whether that is a nursing home, assisted living, a personal care home, or even adult day care, which is another type of long-term care um, support, um, that you know people are individuals. They have pasts. They have things that they like. They have things that they don't like. And I think it's very important for family and friends or whomever is supporting the individual living with dementia to be as involved as possible in helping personalize the care experience. Mm -hmm. um, I think the number one thing to also remember is that um, not to assume that people are not able to do things and cannot be involved. That certainly happens at some point, but to keep the individual who's living with dementia um, involved in the process of decision-making um, is also really important as long as possible mm -hmm. um, and not to suddenly dismiss their opinions and their voice um, mm -hmm. because they have the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to throw you a curveball and ask a few personal questions. What first drew you to the study of gerontology? So the answer to that is both uh, personal and academic. Um, I come from a long line of long-lived people, and so I had the pleasure of knowing my grandparents well into uh, my adulthood, and um, having just recently, the past few years, lost my last grandparent. He mm -hmm. was almost 103 years old, and oh, wow. his father lived to be 104, and I always had very, very close relationships with all of my grandparents, um, and I learned so much for them, uh, from them. And when I got to graduate school and was told, you know, I had to decide on what my focus was going to be, my supervisor at the time was a family sociologist, and she was very interested in aging. And I found there was a large gap in the literature, and especially around grandparent-adult-grandchild relationships. So um, that became my focus, and I really became very interested in... Uh, aging and aging families and the experiences that we have as a result of increased longevity. So I don't have a whole lot of experience with dementia within my family, um, but it's certainly, you know, the, the interest in assisted living is something that was sparked by my family experiences and has sort of led me to, to this point and to study uh, long-term care and focus on what we're focusing on now. Okay. And what do you feel is the biggest misperception that people might have about gerontology? Well, I need to back up and say most people don't know what gerontology is. And so it's, uh, it's not a misconception. Uh, people often say when I say I'm a gerontologist, they say, well, what is that? Um, so, you know, when, when people find out, they think uh, sometimes that it's boring and, you know, oh, you know, aging, it's terrible, and oftentimes they ask me, well, are you going to come up with a cure for aging? And um, that's certainly not what we do. Um, there is a whole segment of uh, research out there that is all about anti-aging, but my focus, and I think gerontology's focus, is really, you know, on understanding the aging process as an interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary um, discipline and understanding kind of the, the physiological, the social, the biological, the 
um, psychological and how that all comes comes together. And gerontologists, at least the ones that I know um, and look up to and work with, are really focused on improving quality of life for people who are aging across the life course. And so, um, you know, we're not necessarily interested in, you know, eradicating aging, um, nor we don't think that's a good good idea. So, so you're not the fountain, fountain of youth Not the researcher. fountain of youth researcher, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although many people hope that, that that's the case when they meet me. What's your favorite book or movie that touches on your area of research? Well, my favorite book, and when I describe it to you initially, you might not think it's related to my area of research or what I do, uh, but it's called A Gentleman in Moscow, and uh, it's written by Amor Tolls. And it's about a gentleman who in 1922, he's a Russian aristocrat, he gets sentenced by tribunal to life uh, house arrest for life, at a very fancy hotel that is across from the Kremlin. And it's a beautiful depiction of someone's life course and how people's lives sort of intersect with continuity and change, historical time, the importance of social relationships. And he's, you know, in a situation of confinement, and yet he's able to find meaning and do things that he is able to enjoy in life. And so I think, you know, we often forget or sometimes people forget that older adults have these rich histories, that they, you know, have life experiences and that they have, you know, um, accumulated experiences and they're not, they don't, people don't arrive in later life without, you know, without a past. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to kind of understand as we study gerontology, you know, how people get to where they are in later life. And especially in this current project, you know, being able to identify what people's likes and dislikes are and to be able to have them, you know, live their best lives and empower them to do things that they find interesting, that they find meaning in, despite some of the limitations that they might be experiencing. Okay. Well, thank you for spending time with us today, Dr. Kemp. This has been the Arts and Sciences Matters podcast, brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Georgia State University. You can follow us or let us know what you think on Twitter at GSUArtSci, and you can find more episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Thank you for listening, and we hope you subscribe so you won't miss out on future episodes.